In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we read the story in the scripture about the parable of the sower, where Christ is explaining uh, how there's a sower who goes and he sows seeds on the ground and it's, the seed falls on all kinds of different ground and each ground responds in a different way. And he says that this uh, ground uh, represents the different kinds of people and the seed is the word of God. And actually we read this parable uh, both this week and also we read it again next week uh, for us to really understand like what is, what, what is the message that's being sent to us. Um, and we see in this parable, and actually in many of the different parables and different scriptures, how God is demonstrating and showing us his goodness. So we can look a little bit into this and, and understand what is the goodness of God, and how is this expressed in this parable, and how is this expressed in other uh, parts of scripture. The first way that God demonstrates his goodness in this is he is the one who is the sower. right? He is the one who is the sower, and he sows the, the seed on all kinds of ground. He doesn't just sow the seed on the ground that he knows to be good. You know, if it were us, if we were the farmer um, and we had the seed, then we would probably just sow the seed in the places that we knew that it would grow, right? Because otherwise we would think that the seed that is being th sown among the thorns or being sown on the wayside, this, these other seeds are wasted in our mind, right? This is, this is wasted seed. But we, this is not the way that God operates. And actually, all throughout history, God gives everyone the opportunity to turn to him, gives everyone the opportunity to serve him, gives everyone the opportunity to accept salvation, so that at the end, none of us can say, God, you didn't give me a chance. It's unfair that you judge me the way you are judging me, because you didn't give me a chance like anyone else. God gives us all an equal chance. God does not predetermine what it is that is going to happen to us, but he gives everyone the opportunity to, to grow. He gives us everyone the opportunity to receive his word. When God created Adam and Eve, he knew that they would betray him. You know, when God Allah freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, he knew that they would rebel against him. Uh, in, in every place, God who creates and who gives and who, who gives us everything and more than we deserve, he knows that we will not respond with gratitude. He knows that we will not respond and do all that he is asking. And so this is very much showing us the love of God, shows us how much he cares for us, that he will give even when we do not give in return. He gives us all that he has and all that he is, even if we do not respond in the way that he would like. He sows the seed on all kinds of different ground. And even on the days where I do not want to pray and on the days where I have a bad attitude and on the days where I sin against God so much, God still loves me and God still gives me and God still fills me. Also, we learn about his goodness um, because every, every ground, even the good ground that he sows on, bears different kinds of fruit, right? Even, even there's some maybe who bear just a little bit of fruit, and there are some that bear a lot of fruit. We read in verse 8 in Matthew 13, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some 100-fold, some 60, some 30, right? God is not asking and saying we must meet a certain standard of good works or goodness in order for, for us to be accepted, but he knows that each of us is capable of different things. God has actually built in us different capabilities and different talents, and we are not able all to do the same. Some are going to be more talented than others. Some are going to excel more than others. And yet, in the eyes of God, we are all the good ground. If you look also in the parable of the talents, the parable of the talents, God gives one of the servants five talents and another of the servants two talents. 
One, the servant that was given five talents, he produced five more talents. And the servant that was given two talents produced two more talents. So one produced five and one produced two. Yet the reward that they received was he told them what? Enter into the joy of your Lord, right? Like you, you are a good and faithful servant is what he said. So sometimes we, uh, we determine the value of things according to the return, according to how much we are able to produce. This is certainly the way of the world, but this is not the way of God. The good ground, the ground that he labeled to be good, is the ground that produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. It was all considered to be good, and he didn't differentiate between them. Okay? We don't have to produce the same as another person, but God examines the heart, and he knows our intentions, and he knows our sincerity, and he knows our desire, and God judges us based on what is hidden, not based on what is clear and obvious from the outside. This is why God tells us that we cannot judge one another, because we do not see the insides of another person. We do not know their intentions. We don't know what's inside of them. We don't know their repentance. We don't know the way they live their life. All we see is from the outside in a very superficial way. So God, he accepts our effort, and he doesn't complain against us because maybe we didn't produce as much as another person, but instead he acknowledges all that we are able to do. We also see the goodness of God as a master, that he pays those who worked for one hour the same as those who labored the entire day. This is in the parable of the workers of the 11th hour. In this parable, there was this landowner who went out to search for workers to work in his land, and he went out in the beginning of the day on the first hour early in the morning, and he found workers. And he told them, I will pay you one denarius to come and to work for me in the land. And then at the third hour, he went out again, and he also agreed with more workers to come and work for him. And he did the same at the sixth and the ninth hour. And then finally, at the very end of the day, at the eleventh hour, he goes and he finds these workers who, who have not been hired, who were not there from the morning, who came very late in the day, and he hires them also. And by the end of the, the parable, and the end of the workday, the landowner is giving the wages out to all of the workers. And he had promised the workers of the first hour, he had promised them one denarius. So he starts with those of the 11th hour, and he gives them one denarius. And so those people from that's, that were working much longer than them, those people who are working the entire day, assumed that, they would, that he would give them more than a denarius. But he ended up giving them all the same. They gave them all a denarius. And they complained against him. The, the, those workers that were there the entire day, they complained. They said, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Right? So here he's what he shows us a characteristic about himself, that even the one who wastes his life, even the one who doesn't do what was right all throughout, that in the end, this person still has a chance. God will, will look at this person, and he will not look at all of the sin that they committed, but if this person turns to God, he will look only at the fact that they returned. If we look at the example of the right-hand thief, you know, this man, he lived his entire life as a thief. He, he, didn't, he didn't have any redeeming quality about him, right? And yet on the cross, simply by him asking God, saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom, then Christ responded and said, today you will be with me in paradise. So maybe we think about ourselves and we think about all the time that we could have used more wisely in our lives, all the time that we've wasted in our lives, all the bad decisions, the poor things that we've done, all the addictions that we've allowed ourselves to become addicted to. And yet, and maybe we feel like there is no return. 
Maybe we feel there is no way to come back to God again, or that God would not accept us back because I misused the time he gave me. I misused the energy he gave me. I misused the body that he gave me. I misused everything that he gave me. Why would he accept me again? And yet we see many examples in the scripture where those who came at the very last hour were accepted by God, and this shows us his goodness. God is not searching for any reason to judge us, but he is searching for a way to reward us. You know, he's searching for a way to give us something good because God is good and he wants us to share in the good things that he has to offer. We ask God in the liturgy, he says, we ask God to not to judge us according to our works, but according to his mercy, right? We are asking that our judgment not come because of the works that we have done, but because of the mercy of God. And certainly we see this example here in this parable. <clears throat> A fourth way that God demonstrates his goodness in the scripture is that he forgives us our debts when we petition him, when we ask him. <clears throat> Another parable, which is the parable of the unforgiving servant. In this parable, there is a master and a servant, and this servant owes the master 10,000 talents, which is an amount that is beyond, like more money than, than that servant would ever earn his entire life. And so it, it demonstrates that it's an unpayable debt, right? And when this servant goes to the master and he says, I cannot pay this debt, right? The master forgives him the debt completely. Um, it says in, in Matthew 18, 27, then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. And the purpose of this parable is to remind us that we also owe the master, we owe the king, we owe the Lord a debt. And that debt cannot be paid. That no amount of work that no amount of preparation, that no amount of, of good works is ever going to be able to pay this debt that we owe to the Lord, right? We cannot earn our way to heaven. The entire Old Testament actually was to make us aware of this, you know, to make us aware of this. The, the, the things that God asked the people in the Old Testament to do was beyond their capability of doing. All of the law all of the sacrifices that they have to offer, all the feasts and the fasts that they had to observe, everything that they did in the Old Testament, the commands, the law that God gave them in the Old Testament was beyond the ability of the people. And the purpose of this was why? So that they would realize that they are unable to fulfill the law. They are unable to be good. They are unable to fulfill God's law. And so for that reason, they would have to rely on the mercy of God. They would have to, there would, there would be an expectation of this Messiah, of the Savior, who is going to come and free them from the requirements of the law so that they would not be condemned for their sin, but that they could still be saved. So it made clear their need for salvation. And this was the purpose of why God told them that they had to do all these things to make them aware of that the fact that they could not. So God, out of his compassion, he sent his, his own son to save them, to forgive them their sins. And it, it, it shows us the magnitude of our sin in this parable. It is the 10,000 talents. It is, a, it is, a, is it a, a debt that is beyond our ability to pay. So we who try to pay this debt, or we who try to believe that salvation is somehow by good works, this comes up a lot when we talk about people from other faiths or people who are not Christian. And people will say, well, how is God going to judge these people? They're very good people. You know when we say that? It implicitly means that, that we believe that salvation is by works. What, what does it matter whether the person is a good person or not? Are we good? Do we do good? What, the, is it because we are good that we have salvation? Is it because we are good that we are hoping to go to heaven? Is it because of our goodness? 
when we talk about other people and we say, well, what, how is God going to judge these people who are good? It has nothing to do with goodness. Our goodness is, is, is a response to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But our goodness is not what gets us into heaven. It is the mercy of God, is the blood of Christ that allows us to enter into paradise, not because we are good. So we do not point to other people in the world and say, well, what about those people? They are good. You know, if we believe that salvation is by good, by goodness, then we have to question our own because we are not good. What is it that we believe? We believe that we are forgiven by God. We, got, we believe that God forgives us our sins. And because God forgives us our sins and he doesn't judge us according to our sins, but according to his mercy, this is why we believe the door of paradise is open to us, not because we are good. So if someone is living their life without the relationship with Christ, without the life that comes through the work of the Holy Spirit in them, then how is it that there can be salvation? This is why it's so important for us to spread the right message. You know, when we speak about spreading the word of God, what is the word of God? The word of God is not just live a good life. That's not the word of God. There are people in the world that are living very good lives. The, the, the message of salvation is that there is no amount of good work that we can do in order to enter into paradise and that we need the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. So it's important for us to realize that God's goodness is that we do not have to perform. We do not have to perform. We are the students that, that, that you know, came in last. We are the ones that took the test and failed. That's us, right? Not the ones who came in the first. Again, that's the point of the parable of the workers of the 11th hour. Those workers that were the first hour workers that came early in the morning, they believed that they deserved the money that they received. And that's why they were angry and upset when those people who came at the very end received the same wages as them. So we ask ourselves, are we like these first-hour workers that believe that we enter into heaven because we have always been good, that we have always made good choices, that we've always done the right thing? Or do we believe that we enter into heaven because of the mercy and the goodness of God? He is compassionate on us, and he gives us what we do not deserve, not because we are good. So yes, we want to be good, and we want to serve him, and we want to obey his commandments. But of all the times that we fail to do so, when we repent in sincerity, he forgives us our sins. The fifth example of the goodness of God in the scripture, we read about him in Isaiah 65, verse 8. It says, Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, Do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. What is he saying here? He's saying, when you have like this cluster of grapes, okay, as long as there is any small piece of it that is good, as long as there is any part of it that is good, the entire cluster, the entire cluster of grapes as a whole will not be discarded, okay? So he's saying, as long as there is something good in us, as long as there's something good in the world, as long as there is something that is yet, you know, still pure, that God will not discard at all, that he will consider it to be a blessing. Now we speak about how the, the God does not destroy the world for the sake of the pure people in the world that pray for the salvation of the world, right? For the sake of the monks and the nuns that consecrate themselves all their lives to praying for the world. God wants to find something good, right? He wants to find something good in us. And for this sake, he doesn't destroy. We, we think about the, the story of when Abraham is pleading with God about the destruction of Sodom, God comes to, to, to Abraham and he tells him, I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom because they're a wicked people. 
And then Abraham responds and he says, but what if there's only a few? What if there's only a few righteous people, you know, in the city? Would you destroy it still, even if there's righteous people there? And God told him, no, I would not destroy it for the sake of the righteous people there. And Abraham kept negotiating with him and saying, well, what if there's only 50 people? What if there's only 40, 30, 20, 10? What if there's only just a few people there? Would you, would you destroy it? And God says, no, I would not destroy it for the sake of those few people, right? God does not want our destruction. He wants our salvation. And God is a just judge who will not allow us to be destroyed with the wicked. He wants us to be restored and he prepares a place for us to be with him. Even if there is this um, you know, small remnant of something that is good, God will preserve it and God will protect the whole and save the whole for the sake of this small thing. The sixth example of God's goodness is, is him as a judge. He is ready to revoke his judgment and to justify his people when they repent. In the story of the Ninevites, when Jonah the prophet was asked to go and to preach to them, God told Jonah to go and to preach that the city of Nineveh was going to be destroyed in 40 days. God had already made the judgment. God had already said that this was going to happen because of the wickedness of the people. But the people, they responded by repenting, even though God did not give them this option. God did not tell them, repent or else. No, he just said, I'm going to destroy you in 40 days, and this is what Jonah the prophet preached. But after they repent, it said in Jonah 3.10, it says, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Even though God had already judged, even though God had already determined and said and told them that they would be destroyed, and yet... He, he relented from what he was planning to do when he saw their repentance. If you read in the scripture, there is no time ever, not even a single example, of a time where someone actually repented and God condemned, condemned them and did not forgive them. Now there are those who still suffer the consequences of sin, even after they have repented. But there is no one whom God rejects and rejects their repentance, who, who they offer it sincerely. So this means that there is always hope for us, that we are not under condemnation, that at any time that we offer a sincere repentance to God, that he hears us and he forgives us. And in this we see the goodness of God. We as human beings, we hold grudges. And often we project our own personalities and our own characteristics as human beings on God. And we imagine that somehow God is like us, right? God is not like us, right? We are supposed to be like him, right? We struggle to be like him not thinking that he is like us. God does not hold grudges, meaning that we can go and sin against God a million times, and then a million times he forgives us again. Sadly, we abuse this. Sadly, we abuse. We, we know that God is good and merciful, and so we feel sometimes lax in our struggle against sin because we know that if we fall into sin, well, God will forgive me again. We should not do this, right? Sin damages us even when we are forgiven of it, you know? Like, like sin continues to hurt us, right? Even when God forgives us. Like we are someone who, for instance, um, is using drugs, will eventually become addicted to drugs, and this drug abuse is going to harm them, even though God has forgiven them for every time they've done it. But yet they are now an addict, right? Just because God forgives us doesn't mean that we are not suffering as a result of the sins that we commit, right? But God will forgive even after he has 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 um, uh, 
declare judgment, like in this case with the Ninevites, God will forgive if we sincerely repent. The last example of God's goodness that I want to mention is that he never gives up even on a bruised reed or a smoking flax. So give this example here in Isaiah 42. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. What does this mean? Okay, what is a bruised reed? Like you have a reed, like a little stick, right? A bruised reed is a stick that's like kind of broken. It's not completely cut off, but it's like, you know, it's like twisted and, and, and hanging and broken. Um, and, and something that we would look at and we say, this is useless. You know, this is, this, is a, this is broken. It's a broken twig. There's no use for it at all. What is flax, smoking flax? This is like, imagine you have a candle that was lit and the candle goes out, okay? And there's that smoke. You know, when you blow out a candle, there's that smoke that comes out from the candle, okay? This is the smoking flax. When we look at the smoking flax, when we look at a candle that has been put out, we don't imagine that this candle will light again on its own, right? I mean, of course, we can light it, but apart from that, we don't imagine that this candle has of any use anymore. It cannot illuminate anymore because it has been put out. But here it's saying that Christ, a bruised reed, he will not break. He doesn't give up on the bruised reed, and he doesn't give up on the, the, the smoking flax. He will not quench it. He believes that it can be restored again. It's telling us what about God's patience and God's gentleness toward us. Okay, even the things that are fragile, even the things that are failing, God gives a chance and does not snuff them out. He is not quick to judge against us. He's not quick to look at us and say, this person, he has no potential. This person can never succeed. This person, I don't even want to give them uh, attention because they have rejected me for so often. I don't even want to look at them again. Again, the example of the parable of the sower, that God throws the seed on all the types of ground in the hope that the seeds will implant and that will produce something good. He doesn't destroy us simply because we have not been effective or because we have not responded for a long time. A, a good example of God's standard for this is found in Ezekiel 34, where he is rebuking the people for not doing the same. He is rebuking the people for not being like him, for not having the same gentleness that he has. It says in Ezekiel 34, The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. Right? Maybe this is our standard as human beings. This is what we tend to do. The weak, we discard the weak. You know, why, why put energy to, to strengthen the weak, right? We can just focus on those who are strong. The weak are a liability. The weak are not something that we need. You have not healed those who are sick. Again, the sick, they are not going to be the, the top performers, right? Well, I'm going to spend so much energy trying to heal the sick. Nor bound up the broken, right? Again, the broken are those who are not really the most efficient. Nor brought back what was driven away. The people that have left, right? We speak about the lost sheep in the church, how often are we paying attention to the lost sheep and to those people who have left for one reason or another, seeking to bring them back? Sometimes we're happy that they're gone. Um, you know, maybe someone who we feel was a difficult personality or a troublemaker. I'm glad that they're not here anymore. Nor sought out what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. When St. Paul gives the example of the body, that the church is like the body, imagine your own body, okay? When you have a part of your body that is broken, right? How do you act? How do you treat it? 
you know like like do we take like if if i break if i break my arm you know do i do i say to myself my arm is a liability for me it is slowing me down because it's broken and it's causing me pain so i might as well just cut it off and throw it away because i don't it's not it's not helping me anymore none of us does that because actually we give our arm in that situation more care and more love and we 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 serve it we give it exactly what it needs it actually we we alter our entire life for the sake of this arm that is now broken and we give it time to heal right and this is the way that saint paul wants us to serve the body of christ then when there is members of the body of christ that are broken that are in need of extra attention then instead of saying what we are going to drive them away that we are going to break them or, or, or drive them off, that instead we give them extra attention. We want them to heal and we have hope and we are gentle with them the way that Christ is gentle. Even though they might be a bruised reed, even though they might be smoking flax, and yet we do not treat them with contempt. We do not treat them as though they do not matter and instead we nurture them until they are restored again. And this is the goodness of God, that he looks at the least of us and he sees the greatest. Right? He looks at the least and he says that the last will be first and the first will be last. When Christ came to earth, he, he, he put everything upside down. Everything became flipped. The most powerful people, like the Pharisees, they became the least important. And the least important people, like the tax collectors and the harlots, they became the saints and, and they became apostles. Right? So, so God does not give up even on those whom the world has given up on. And so we as the church should do the same and to focus on who has God called us to serve and to be thankful that God doesn't ever give up on us. So in summary, we spoke about seven points in the scripture that demonstrates the goodness of God. The first was that he sows seeds on all the kinds of ground. He doesn't differentiate and, and yet he, he, he throws seed on every ground. The second is that he regards every ground that bears fruit as good. Whether it bears 30, 60, or 100 fold, it is good in the eyes of God. The third is he pays those who worked for one hour the same as those who labored the whole day. Even if someone comes to God very late in their life, God still uh, loves them and rewards them for what they have done. The fourth is he forgives the debts of his servants when they petition him. Even if our debt is, is enormous, that we owe him 10,000 talents, and yet he will forgive us when we ask of him. Number five, he considers even the new wine in the cluster as a blessing. He will look for anything good in us to bless it. He will preserve us for the sake of anything good. God is not quick to judge. He doesn't want to destroy, but he wants to nurture what is good. The sixth is he is ready to revoke his judgment and justify his people when they repent. God is listening for our repentance, and he wants us to repent for our forgiveness. And then finally, he never gives up even on a bruised reed or smoking flax, but he is always gentle with us, not seeking to destroy us or to judge us too quickly, but to have patience and wait for our return. May God grant us to understand the goodness of God, the love he has for us, and to also show that same love to one another, and glory be to God forever. Amen.